you, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. On today's episode of the Salt Dirt Podcast, we have author Joe Ide. His latest novel is called The Goodbye Coast, a Philip Marlowe novel, and it is out now on Mulholland Books. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyler Bingham. Question? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is your podcast called Dirt? Because, uh, <laughs> so, I'm based out of Salt Lake City, and I was just talking to a, a writer friend of mine a couple of years ago, and I'm like, I need a name for a podcast. And he's like, why don't you just call it Salt Lake Dirt? That sounds kind of cool. So there's no, there's no real meaning <laughs> behind it. And I've had a couple okay. people say, are you trying to get dirt on me? What, like, what is this? I'm like, no, no, that's just a, it's just a dumb name. <laughs> okay. Well, it sticks. It it's, does stick. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Cause now I'm like, I think sometimes you name something and you're like, oh, now I'm stuck with it. I have to, <laughs> I have to <laughs> go with that now. But so t- yeah, today I am here with Joe Ide and uh, his latest book, The Goodbye Coast, uh, Philip Marlowe novel recently came out on Mulholland Books. I, I love the book. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It's my pleasure, Kyla. Uh, so I am just curious, like jumping right into the book itself. So it's a Philip Marlowe book, um, you know. And for for any noir crime mystery writer, that's a that's a pretty um, iconic name. I'm very curious how this all happened to kind of do a um, you know, re-visionment yeah. of this character. Maybe you could speak about that. Um, the um, agent for the uh, uh, Raymond Chandler estate, he was in the airport and he liked the cover of IQ, <laughs> the cover. So it's a good cover. that's why he chose it. <laughs> that's why he chose it. And that's why he, he read it on the airplane. And... Um, he, um, they were looking, the estate was looking for someone to write a contemporary Marlowe. And they read my stuff, decided, you know, to give me a shot. It was, um, it was very exciting. I mean, you know, Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. very exciting, but it was also, um, really daunting. Um, it seemed to me like an opportunity to, to uh, disappoint thousands and thousands of people, <laughs> you know, around the world. Um, but you know, something I can't really turn down or say no. But I had I had fun with it. I really did. Yeah, it was mean, a new. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I just like I, when I, I I first heard about it. Um, since I hadn't heard about you before, I was like, oh, this is like this. And again, this cover, I mean, whoever's doing your covers is doing a, a heck of a job. Mm, but yeah. uh, this this cover kind of drew me in. And then I saw Philip Marlowe and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, wh- what is this exactly? Um, and just hearing that it was like a, you know, a modern day version of it. I, I think there have been some in the past, but I've never read like, you know, the decades mm. past. But um, this really intrigued me. And um, I, I like I, I like specifically that it is from it's in third person. So I feel like you were able to definitely keep true to the character, but then do your own thing with this, um, this update or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, it felt like a Marlowe novel to me. Um, I'm glad. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it was great. Um, very incredible. So, uh, 
what was I going to ask you about this? So I think, yeah, that seems like a very daunting uh, assignment, but one, like you said, you can't, you can't really turn that down if the estate comes to you. You're like, yes, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> I can, I can do that. Definitely. Sure, uh, I can. Yeah. I'm curious about like the, you know, we don't, I don't want to give any spoilers um, to the novel, but just, just the concept, uh, you know, for the plot, for the characters um, that are interacting with Marlowe, how um, how did you even start this 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 daunting task, and and how long uh, was it your first draft? How long did it take you to write your first draft? Um, the first draft about eight months, and then it was a bunch of rewriting after that. But um, how I started with Marlowe. The, the task, it seemed to me, was twofold. One was to um, be respectful of the original Marlowe and um, to bring, I mean, you couldn't just take Humphrey Bogart and plop him down in the 21st century. <laughs> you know? So it was a question of taking his spirit, for lack of a better word, his attitude, his personality, his cynicism, and bring that forward into a new character. Um, that it seemed was the job and it was I'll tell you after I got into it it was fun because it was the, the first question was am I going to try to approximate Chandler's writing well there, there is no approximation there isn't any you know there's Chandler and then there's everybody else <laughs> yep <laughs> so as you say you know I write in the third person and um, I didn't know uh, I didn't know how to write in the first person the way that the Chandler novels are written. I you know one character carries the whole novel. I had no idea how to do that. It's a separate kind of skill set. Mm -hmm. um, the third person is how is is how I write. There's there's subplotting and there's multiple characters. That's how I write. And so once I got that straight, I can only write the way I write. Um, things got a little bit easier, you know? And then I started to think about Marlowe's character. I, um, I don't outline. I have an idea and I start writing. Mm. And the way I started with Marlowe was his appearance. And I'll, um, I'll read you a very short little piece here. Okay, great. Now, this is our first impression of Marlowe, and he's meeting his new client, Kendra James, movie star, notorious diva. So I have this vague picture in my mind of this going on. Mm. And, you know, it's a question of taking something from his appearance and getting a reaction from a different character to, to, um, to judge the impact. Okay, so... This is from the book. Marlowe was looking off, distracted, as if he were bored and thinking about something other than the A-list celebrity sitting right in front of him. Disrespectful, Kendra thought. He reminded her a little of Steve McQueen. If Steve McQueen was a rude, insolent asshole, Marlowe met her gaze, and she was instantly uncomfortable. His eyes were the kind that took in everything, but gave nothing away, the kind that didn't notice but inhaled, the kind that weren't neutral but assessed, gleaned, and adjudicated. That's the first paragraph I wrote. Mm -hmm. And once I had that, 
<laughs> I started to think about other things. And, you know, it, it's not a linear process. Mm. Uh, things come to me when they come to me. And, you know, the timing is, is up to the writing gods. <laughs> so I started to think about his, um, his clothes and his car and how he talks and where he lives. And it's sort of like you're, you have, you have a jigsaw puzzle and you're, you're finding these pieces and fitting them in. And you don't really know what the puzzle actually is, you know, in total mm. until I get to about page 60. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then I say, Oh, okay. This is what he's like. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I'm I'm always intrigued, especially with a with a noir or or a mystery or a thriller, just how hmm. how different people do it. How you know, it, it is really cool hearing how you know some people outline, some people do not outline mm-hmm. at all. And it just I um, I think the books that I tend to well, I mean, I like it. I like if it's a good story, it's a good story. But it, I always am especially intrigued with people who um, kind of have an approach that you have, where it is like. You, you, it's like you, the writer, are learning about these characters as it yes. unfolds as you go, which is very incredible. I mean, um, some of That's the best writing, yeah, some of the best writing, mm. um, I think is 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 done that way. So, um, yeah, I am I'm also curious because now I'm going to go back and read the IQ series, mm. um, and it, unless I'm so, is there there are five in that series so far? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so. And those just, you know, within the last several years, that that started to come out in 2015, 16-ish. Is that? That's right. Um, okay. So I, I am just curious. Was that your your first book the that was published, um, IQ? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am I am just really curious about, um, you know, the process that led you to um, uh, writing yes. this first book that actually got published. Was it your first book that you wrote or is it was it your first book that was – published um you know what were you doing before all this time i'm i'm, I'm really um eager to hear about your um your earlier life and 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 just what brought mm-hmm. you to this that was the iq was my first book and i had always been a ne'er-do-well i had never been happy in my work i was always restless you know i had worked as a uh, school teacher that was my first job. Me too. That's what I am. Um, there you go. Um, but probably unlike you, I discovered within a few days that I didn't like kids. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're noisy, you know, fussy. You know, they were always asking me questions. And I, just, I just couldn't deal. You know? I just couldn't. I mean, if you were in my class, you had fun, but, you, you know, you didn't learn anything. <laughs> So, so I lasted about a semester, and uh, I lasted a semester. That was it. And I started to work um, different jobs. You know, I was in uh, middle management and big corporation. I was in human resources. I taught college classes, a bunch of things, uh, one after the other. Never lasted more than a year. And uh, I, I decided to be a screenwriter. Like many people, I thought, you know, you watch something on TV and you go, I could write that. Mm-hmm. I could write better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out it was a lot harder, <laughs> a lot harder than it looked, you know, and there were, there were a bunch of skill sets that I didn't have. And so I wrote exactly 12 lousy screenplays. 
And I had an agent acquaintance. He wasn't a friend, but I would, I would send him my screenplays. And um, he would send them back with notes that said, this is terrible. This is, <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch this. And then on the 13th script, it was a, you know, it was a decent script and it sold at Disney and I started to work. And um, I worked a fair bit. I worked for most of the majors and I sold specs and did rewrites and um, script doctoring, that kind of thing. Um, but nothing I, nothing I wrote ever got made. Things were falling out one after the other. You know, the head of the studio got fired. The budget's too big. Somebody else has got something in the pipeline that's similar. On and on, one after the other. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, I have a work ethic. Mm -hmm. So I'm knocking myself out. And, and you know, getting things made is how you keep score in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know? <laughs> and um, after a while, people start to think, well, what's wrong with Joe? You know, is he hard to work with? You know, are screenplays just crap? You know, what's going on here? So the phone started ringing less and less. And um, uh, I was getting more frustrated with the actual writing of it. And I, it got to a point where I opened, you know, Final Draft, the screenwriting program, mm -hmm. and I would get physically repulsed. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I quit. And, um, Nobody noticed, but I did, I did quit. <laughs> and I, I moped around for a long time. You know, I mean, screenwriting was was a big part of my identity. People ask me what I do. I'd say I'm a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. And now I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. So who was I? And I moped around for, uh, for a long time. You know, and I went for long walks with my dog and, you know, stared out to sea. And... I think we lost Joe here. So we were talking about... Um, my background in screenwriting. Um, so I, I decided to write screenplays and I uh, wasn't very good at it. And I wrote 12 bad ones. I had an agent friend who um, I would send them to and he would say, you know, send me notes. This is awful. This is terrible. This is boring. Nobody wants to see this. And I finally wrote a decent screenplay. It sold to Disney. I started to work. And um, I worked for the most of the majors, uh, but as I said, nothing was getting made. You know, things were falling out for all kinds of Hollywood reasons. Um, the head of the studio quit and the budget was too much and on and on and on. I got terribly frustrated. And so I, um, I quit and I moped around for a long time and felt sorry for myself. And then I realized that I have to pay the mortgage and, and the only skill I have is writing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to write a novel. Um, it took me three years. I had to get a second on the house. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I was paying off the loan with the loan, which I, I heartily advise you not to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the first year, uh, I... Well, when I started, I, I, I thought I would have the writing part down. Mm. You know, I was working as a professional writer, making a decent living. But my narrative prose was terrible. I mean, it was awful. It was a whole different thing. Mm. You know, it was like, okay, I can play tennis, but it doesn't mean I can play golf. Right. And, 
And so it was different, you know, it was, it, it was different muscle memory. It was different skill sets. It took me a full year to learn how to write clear, decent prose. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're writing a screenplay and it's, you know, it's a nice house in suburb- suburbia, all you have to do is say exterior, nice house in suburbia. <laughs> uh, what would you say, like, like, how did you, um, how did you refine this skill? Like, how did you get, how did you get better at your prose? Um, I'm writing IQ badly, but I'm also studying, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading elements of style and on writing well, and I'm, I'm reading books on writing and I'm trying to fix my own writing as I go. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said, it took me a year before I went, okay, you know, this is clear. This makes sense. Yeah. And then the other two years were, you know, figuring out the book itself and finding my own style and all that. Uh, so it was, um, that part was a long road. Three years is a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it, the way it sold though, was too easy. <laughs> I had too much luck. You don't, yeah, you don't hear that often. Too easy. So yeah, <laughs> I don't to tell this. a story. To, I don't tell a story to other writers. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. Very smart. <laughs> so so I, 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 um, I didn't. I finished the manuscript. I, I don't know anybody in publishing. Mm-hmm. So I'm sending it out to readers, just to get some feedback. I have this cousin. His name is Francis Fukuyama. He is a world-renowned political anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, has a huge resume and um, he consults with governments. He's on the board at RAND, okay? That, mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> and um, I thought, should I send it to him? Should I send it to Francis? And I was going, ah, you know, he's on the board at RAND. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a, he's a very kind man. I called him, he said, sure, happy to read it. So he reads it and it turns out he likes it. And he says, well, do you have an agent? I said, no, I got to go get one. And he said, let me introduce you to my agent, mm. who turned out to be a woman named Esther Newberg, who's been head of literary in, in ICM in New York for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So that was the first person. That was the first person <laughs> wow. to read my book. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, she liked it. And, you know, a couple of weeks, she sold it. That's great. And I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's an, that's incredible. That's uh, you, yeah. you don't hear. Um, I mean, I think especially when you're when you're writing, you know, for for three years and and really working hard, you're you're just ready for like, okay, well, here's the next hard thing, the really hard thing, <laughs> yeah. um, and let's see if this even pans out. So that's um, like all that hard work paid off. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, what a great story. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot of luck involved there. Yeah, there is with most things. Yeah, oh, for sure. If it hadn't um, happened that way, my career would be very different. <laughs> be yeah. very different. Yeah, and um, Mulholland uh, is is an incredible um, publisher. I mean, I think that some of my favorite books are you know have come out. So yes, um, yeah, it's very very cool that um, you've been able to work work with them um, directly. I so okay. Right before we jumped on the call, I, I had read that um, that there's going to be a series um, for IQ or it's, or it's in the works uh, and that, that Snoop Dogg is, is mm. producing. I mean, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but I'm just very, very, I can talk about one. it. Yeah. I would love to hear about this. The, um, uh, the book got options in 2015 mm-hmm. before it was published. 
And um, I'm all excited. It was like a six-way bidding war. Oh, wow. And um, uh, Alcon, which is a, a big company, mostly finance, but they're a large company. They, they, um, they optioned it, and then they bought the book. So mm. they own it. Oh, wow. Um, and then nothing really solid happened. You know, pilot pilots were written. Um, deals were almost made with, you know, several studios. And at this point, um, well, we thought we had a deal with, with HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And then Alcon and HBO Max, HBO Max was new. And there wasn't a template for deals like there is with HBO. Mm-hmm. So this huge, long negotiation about money and, and um, back end and all this stuff. And they also argued about who was going to be the actual producer. Mm-hmm. And Alcon wanted to do that. They have no history of producing, really. And HBO said no. So that was a huge, you know, conflagration about that. And um, this went on and on and on and on and on. And finally, I just turned off. I just mm-hmm. tuned it out. I mean, you know, it was like you, it got to be where you're like a screenwriter and you're just, you know, every day you're just like lingering around the phone waiting for something to happen. Yeah. So I decided to just write the book. Um, the last I heard, um, the showrunner who was going to be the showrunner, Matt Mark Canahan, uh, was he was on House of Lies, came from House of Lies and really a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he's writing a screenplay now. And the talk is with Alcon, they're going to make a movie. Mm-hmm. But who knows when that's going to happen. Sure. You know? So, yes, yeah. It, it, yeah. I I, I just can't worry about it. I don't, I don't actually know what they're doing. Yeah. You just move on to the next book, right? The next project Mm -hmm. that you're, that you're working on. That's all you can control. Uh, what am I, what are my favorite collections of, um, um, of a nonfiction book? It's called Hollywood versus the author. And it's, um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to send you the link to this, but it's, it's, it came out on rare bird books and, um, it's full of contributors. So each chapter is a different, um novelist and how like you know so it's he does a pretty good job at having like these wild successes and then these like horrific (laughs) stories about these Mm -hmm. poor writers um and different things so i mean it's a very very entertaining read Uh, but that's just (laughs) the one thing i got from it is like like no one knows what the hell is going on (laughs) it's just like it could be all over the place and um i think that was the 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 because the it, you final know, takeaway, yeah, it was a just... deal doesn't a deal doesn't, you know, a, a book that's getting highly reviewed is mm-hmm. is doesn't doesn't really is not the start of anything, right? You know, there has to be a package now mm-hmm. where you have the rights of the book, but then you have a a, a a screenplay written, you have a legitimate producer, and um, well, you have financing in place. That's what you have to have to take it to Netflix and say, do you want to make this? Right. And, you know, there's there's just all kinds of variations. And and again, I can't I can't really be bothered. Well, you know? you'd be you'd be stressed out every every day. I would. Or, <laughs> every I absolutely moment. would. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's exciting. I think like, you know, a lot of these uh, a lot of series you see, it takes a long time. But when it when it when it gets to the right place, it was like well worth the wait. So hopefully, okay, um, that will be the case with, <laughs> with your uh, with your work. So I hope you're uh, right. I hope so too. Yeah. Um. So 
you, you grew up you're you're native um you're from los angeles mm-hmm. um i would just you know i would like to hear maybe about um your younger years and like maybe some of the uh mm-hmm. that right the writers and you know films and whatever that you were drawn to um what kind of shaped um you know eventually maybe you're partially your writing style like what what were you into when you were younger uh i read the all the sherlock holmes stories and novels multiple times before i left middle school um it has a little bit of a backstory i you know i grew up in south central la you know, in an area that was full of crime and gangs and all the inherent problems of it. But, you know, as an experience, it wasn't any different than, you know, anybody else. Uh, my grandparents, um, they lived in an area because it was close to little Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And they were very old world. They spoke almost no English. They'd lived there for decades, but spoke almost no English. They were very stern people, very formal and um, very, very traditional. My grandfather's, my grandfather collected samurai swords. And my grandmother was a calligrapher and she, she wore these beautiful silk kimonos around the house. Mm-hmm. And um, they treated me like, like somebody else's cat. You know, like they, <laughs> they couldn't actually kill me, but you know, they didn't have to be nice to me either. So um, my parents, you know, we were living with my grandparents because we were just scraping by. My parents, you know, they aspired to get out of the hood, be Brady Bunch mainstream. That's what they wanted for me and my brothers. But we had adapted to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Most of our friends were black. So we co-opted their speech, you know, style, musical taste, all that stuff. So there was always this, you know, cultural generational tension within my family. And it was made more so by my parents and my grandparents wanting us kids to have some connection to our own cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. I never really worked out the way they, they hoped. Um, my parents made me take a ceramic class in little Tokyo, you know, taught by this really famous artist from Japan, <laughs> friend of my grandfather's. And I get there and there's eight or 10 of these obsessively clean cut suburban Japanese kids. <laughs> you know, and there I am. I got a toothpick in my mouth. I'm wearing my Ray-Bans indoors. You know? <laughs> and I know I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. So my strategy was this. Everything I made looked somehow phallic. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't subtle either. I mean, it was, it'd be like I make it an ordinary teapot, but, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to take it up by the handle. <laughs> My older brother, my older brother, Jack, he got booted out of a Japanese Boy Scout troop for mm. buying his merit badges. <laughs> I didn't really, didn't really, smart, get whole, <laughs> didn't really get the whole Boy Scout concept. And <laughs> I'm terribly jealous. I'm four years younger. And my because my poor parents, you know, they were so proud of him. <laughs> what made it all the more aggravating was that, you know, I knew it was a scam. I knew my my hood rat brother couldn't build a wigwam <laughs> in a kayak. And sort of the net result of all of this was that I was culturally all over the place. I wasn't black. I wasn't white. I wasn't Japanese. And through most of that period, I felt really like I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't belong. I was an oddball. And I think that's why I was drawn to the original Sherlock Holmes. Here's a guy who's like me. He's an oddball. You know, he doesn't belong. 
and he's not a badass. And he was a very inspirational figure for me because he could, he could face his world and not be afraid. If he had an obstacle, he could overcome it with just his intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a small kid in a big neighborhood. That's a very powerful idea. Yeah. You know? um, so when it came time, you know, to write IQ, all those things came together almost by themselves. And Sherlock in the Hood was born. That was my only idea. It's not like I chose from a list. Yeah. It was either right, that or nothing. That's a great, I mean, it's great though. I mean, like that's, that's, that's incredible. Mm. Um, You know, at the time I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think my growing up was extraordinary. My experiences were, were anything other than ordinary. Mm -hmm. And um, I never thought that my growing up would be somehow useful you know, I was never like embarrassed about it, but then it actually, you know, I could actually use it for some practical purpose was a surprise. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. I think like, you know, a lot of us, we, we're, when we're young, we're just kind of waiting for the next, like, just to get out of, get, I talked to like my high school students and they're just, you know, they just want out. And I, and I, and I get that cause I felt the same way, but I mean, um, you know, they're all living their unique life. And, you know, a lot of um, what shapes them is definitely, definitely going to impact, you know, what careers they choose and what, you know, what chooses yeah. them. And um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a tough time to grow up. Oh, really yeah. tough. Yeah. You know, um, there are just so many distractions mm-hmm. and it's, there's this huge cultural pull to be cool, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, um, I think it's so hard to make your way through that if you're 15 years old. Oh gosh, yeah. There's a there's a character in in Marlowe named Cody. Yeah, oh, she's a great character. Girl. Yeah, great character. And um, she's uh, I'm trying to find this little thing I was going to read. She's really um, she's really a child of of her times. Mm-hmm. Oh, incredibly yeah. spoiled, incredibly self-serving. Um, Everything, everything is really about being cool. And here's a little piece of, of dialogue between Marlo and Cody. You want to be famous, Marlo said. Famous for what? Acting, art, fashion? No, there's too many dues to pay, Cody said. Internships, school, all that bullshit. God, it could take years and it might not even happen. Maybe I'll be like the Kardashians. They have no talent. But they're celebs. They have big companies and they give each other Lamborghinis as birthday presents. When Kanye asked him to marry him, he rented out the AT&T Stadium. He hired a 50-piece orchestra and put the pr- proposal on the, on the jumbotron. Is that cool or what? The Kardashians have ruined America, Marlowe thought. It seemed as if there was a whole generation of deluded teenagers with big ambitions and no way to achieve them. Um. You know, sometimes you get to slip in your own. Yeah, <laughs> well, your own I, I remember like vividly reading that that passage, and I'm mm. like, this is, this is spot on. Like uh, a lot of my, a lot of my students, like great kids, but I've been in education 15 years now, and I'd say in the last, the last like three, four, you know, less than five years, mm-hmm. there has been a definite shift, and yeah, I feel for these kids because they, they I mean, I think they a lot of them 
have that mindset right there. But even if they don't, I just I just see so much um, chronic dissatisfaction and yeah. unhappiness mm-hmm. um, with these kids. I mean, I, they have, they really have a lot going. Um, you know, a lot of challenges that they're facing, and they don't they don't even know it just yet. So I hope I hope they could um, you know get to where they need to be when they get a little bit older. But yeah, just the the challenges. Yeah, the this the dissatisfaction is a is a real um, uptick in that from what from what I've seen just in the past few years. Yeah, there's a feeling that all you have to do is wait around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, be in the right spot at the right time, and you'll get discovered. Yeah, you know, uh, and so you have this. You know, I, I see it mostly in in twenty somethings where they're not doing a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they work to get by, but really they're just waiting. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Uh, I, I have been asking writers, um, you know, especially the past two years and um, with the pandemic and everything. So I, I've talked to a lot of people and, um, as far as like on, on the professional end, some writers are like, oh, well, nothing really really changed. I'm kind of an isolated person to begin with. So when it all happened two years ago, um, my day to day was not really that much different from what, you know, it had been. And then other people, um, they just really struggled to come up with um, a routine that maybe they once had, but they just, they were not able to create anything um, for months on end. So I'm just curious about your uh, experience with the pandemic now that we're running up to two years on this thing now. Um, I'm a, I'm something of a recluse anyway, you know, and it's like almost part of my job to be socially distanced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and so my routine about, you know, writing and my day, it didn't really change that much. Mm-hmm. You know, I must feel like I should be struggling more. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, no, a lot of people, um, a lot of writers said exactly the same thing. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, my wife and I go to the grocery market just to, like, see human beings. Just like, (laughs) oh, there's people. (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. No, I think that's that's been the experience for, um, you know, you know, a lot of people. That's a that's a that's a good place to be in, though, where it was like it didn't disrupt too much and you know i think i think the 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 poor people where their life was like upturned you know that's Mm. awful yeah there's so many plans that were just smashed that were just Mm. destroyed you know yeah Mm. yeah i mean i talked to i cover a lot of film festivals and um you know just on, on on that side of it but i felt uh you know they've done online festivals i i go to sundance every year because i live i live really close and um, just some of the young, younger filmmakers that yeah. I they talked to, and they were, you know, they they, they were devastated that like the in person thing was gone because they had, like maybe looked for years and years and years to, you know, and it finally yeah. happens, and then it, and then it's like, okay, you just got to watch it online, and then they feel guilty for you know like oh if that's my worst problem like having an online film festival like that's I'm a I'm a jerk like <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it just was. But if you know, if that's your life, yeah, the, the pain is still real. And, that's true. You know, yeah, the rest also... of it is like, yeah. But what about me? Exactly. My life. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, no, pain's real. Pain's real. Yeah. It was very painful for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, well, what are you up to now? I mean, um, are you are you going back to the the IQ series, or are you kind of taking a break, or um, are there more Philip Marlowe novels on the way for us? Um, as for Philip Marlowe, I don't know. I would like to write another one. Mm -hmm. um, it was um, it was fun to write, you know, not in the sort of you know I'm going to Disneyland fun, but more a writer's fun, um, where I'm in the groove. Like I, I know what I'm going to write two seconds before I write it. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of like a really short, non-athletic Tom Brady. You know, I have, I can see the whole field. I can see who's doing what. And I can hit my receiver on the fly. I mean, that's incredibly a gratifying thing. And, and so that, that it was really a pleasure to write. And um, it's a different tone, a different, uh, world of different characters, all of this um, from IQ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, previous to that, I had written five IQ books. So this was, you know, it was a great break. And I'd like to write another one, but it's it's like all things, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. The estate licenses these books to be written, but the publisher is the one who pays the bill. Mm -hmm. And the estate has no editorial input. But they, they can say, you know, you can publish this book or not. I mean, they, they have final say about whether it gets published. Mm -hmm. And when I gave them a first draft, they were like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they thought I was going to write, you know, first person noir. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, you know, who are all these other people? Who are all these other, other characters? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they're feeling better now. You know, we got some good reviews. They're, yeah. They're feeling better. Anyway, well, I'd like to write one, but I don't know that, you know, all that stuff has to be worked sure. out. Yeah. Um, I'm well, working on IQ six now. Okay. Um, and that, you know, that's going like it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I write every day and my day is sort of, I mean, it's very, I wake up at seven 30 around there. I drink three cups of coffee and then I go to work. Mm -hmm. And I'm there until one one o'clock in the afternoon around in there, and you know there there is nothing romantic or or glamorous about being a novelist. There's just nothing, <laughs> you know. Sitting on my keyboard in my pajamas, I got you know taco juice on my keyboard, and I'm talking to my dog. That's it, you know. That's my day. And then I take a break around one. I come back to it about four. I do another couple hours. And that's my day every day. I write seven days a week because my stuff is fairly complicated. If I let it go, I just lose all momentum. Okay. Um, anyway, I, but that's what I'm doing. I'm writing IQ6. And, okay. and it's the last book of my contract. So we'll see what I write next. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have to figure it out with the publishing company, with Little Brown. But yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask you. I'm I'm glad you brought that up about just um, because it seems like there's an IQ book almost every every year the past the past five years. Um, so that's like that's a that's a lot of work right there. So yeah, I was just really interested in um, that process. And I mean, it, and yeah, that makes sense. Seven days a week, just plug it away. Um, yeah, that's a um, that's yeah that work ethic definitely is there. <laughs> True. Um... 
it's um, I got a two book deal when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and people hear that and they go, wow, you must be rich. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you, if you, um, if you get published by one of the big five, five big houses, mm-hmm. um, your advance is, is going to land somewhere between 35 and $40,000. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I got, I got, I got a hundred thousand dollars, but it was for two books. Right. Right. right? So, um, and here's how that broke down. Right? I got $40,000 up front, mm-hmm. 20 for IQ, 20 for the book yet to be written. Then I got $15,000 when um, my publisher approved the rewrites. That took months, months. And then I had to wait for a, a publishing date. That was some more months. And then I got $15,000 on pub day. So I got $70,000 spread out over a year, mm-hmm. you know, less uh, 15% for your agent and taxes. And I got what I got. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so in order to make a living, like if you're a career novelist, you have to write book after book, you know, to, to actually make a living. Right. And um, that's what publishers are actually looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not looking for, you know, the next Harry Bosch. They're looking for the next right. Michael Connolly. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, we, I was talking um, a while back with Jonathan Ames um, about, mm-hmm um donald westlake and um yeah. his, his richard stark um you know you know name and, and and just like the the amount of books that that guy put out and that all those guys from that era put out and mm. i was just like god how did they how on earth did they do that and it's like he's like well they <laughs> he brought up the very good point well he's like they you know they're great writers but they had to make a living too so they that was that was in their head and that's what they that's just what they had to do um, I find it, I find it like astonishing. Like yeah. Michael Connolly, mm-hmm. his incredibly complicated books, oh. and he he, write, he almost writes two a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're <laughs> kind of like Michael. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you know, have a rest. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's um uh he's obsessed, like most writers I know, like myself. Yeah. You know. I get up in the morning and I'm going to write. It's assumed. Yeah. It's not like I say, well, do I want to write? Right. You just get up and write. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense too. Cause you, you do, you lose that rhythm, especially if you do have all these, you know, different characters and complex plot points. It's just like you, you take a, a day or two off and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, practicing an instrument, you, you, you you lose it and you have to like almost start over in, in certain respects to, you know, fine tune that instrument. My wife was just telling me that um, I talk to myself a lot and she's always trying to read my lips to see <laughs> what I'm saying, but I'm writing. Yeah. You know, I'm in a scene and I'm practicing, I'm doing dialogue or something. Mm. Um, it's, it's really all consuming. You know, yeah. I'm, uh, Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, a comedian is always thinking comedy, but a writer is always thinking writing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I'll, what... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote. Um, and this is true for every writer I know. You're always looking for 
discrepancies for something unusual or something clever. Mm. And it's just like something you do. So I go to this particular 7-Eleven. You know, and, and Danny, the owner, has trouble with this group of kids, group of teenagers who gather in the parking lot. And they're loud and they drink and they get in fights and they just, you know, they're a pain in the ass. So I go, I go there the other day, Danny uh, is playing classical music through his outdoor speakers. Mm. No kids. <laughs> That's great. They're gone. They're gone. That's now, great. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, if Danny was my character and he did that, He's no longer a store owner. He's a smart store owner. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. a character. I'm, um, I'm getting on the freeway. And there's this um, homeless guy on the center island. You know, he's bedraggled. He's got a shopping cart. He's got a little cardboard sign. So I pull up next to him. And the sign does not say food. It says alcohol. <laughs> So I roll down my window. I give him a dollar. I said, yeah. you know, hey, you know, at least you're honest. <laughs> you, know? you know, and again, you know, if your character does that, it says something about that character. Right. It says something about me, but it says something about that character. So yeah, I'm always like sure. looking for those things. Yeah. You know? When I go into a social situation, um, I'm not a participant. I'm a spy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm. Like all writers, you know, a student of human behavior. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, who's the drinker? Mm -hmm. Who hates their partner? Who has a hidden agenda? You know, and you're looking for all these details, all these little signs of what people are thinking, because that's what you do mm -hmm. when you when you come up with a character. Now, a, a woman friend of mine said, um, you know, you can't tell um, the economic status of a woman anymore by their clothes because everybody wears jeans and Nikes. But you can almost always tell by their handbag. Mm. That's perfect. Yeah. For... <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I'm, I'll use that one of these days. Um, but you are, um, you are always looking around and trying to see behind what people, how people present themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I walk my dog about the same time every day, walking along, and this woman comes out of her house, and I know she was waiting for me, because she's walking a little too quickly, and, and she's a little too eager, you know, to be getting the mail. So we converge on the sidewalk. She immediately starts telling me about her trip to India, hmm. you know, how um, she took a raft up the Ganges, and she went to the temple with all the rats, and she... She ate street food. She didn't get sick. And I'm thinking, she's not telling me about India. She's telling me, look what a risk taker I am. Mm. Look how adventurous I am. You know, I'm not just a rich lady lying around in my house. I'm out there in the world. You know, I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> and because I know that, because I know that, I can write about her. Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, that's what. You know, me and all the writers I know, that's what they're doing. They're always trying to see behind and yeah. find something that's they can actually write about. Yeah. I love that. That's that's great. I mean, it's it's so true. Just the little subtle thing that um, 
makes it unique, makes it special, makes it tells you so much more about the character or the person. Um, this one little thing that you can observe that's such a that's such a cool way to approach um, it. I love it. It's it's a way of life. It's not a way to make friends, but it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great! I saw um, Fran Lebowitz um, just a couple weeks ago here at a, doing a doing a doing a performance thing, and um, and she said like pretty much the same thing. She goes, she loves to go to parties, but she just goes and she sits down, and she's like, you know, I'm completely content to just watch people. That's kind of what I what I want to do. If people come up to me, great. If they don't, great. I'm just there to watch. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that is <laughs> that's so cool hearing you hear that say that as well. Um, I mean, like. Um, just so much can be, you know, yeah, deciphered from from watching people. That's many cool. people. Many people show up on my books and they don't know it. Yeah, that's that's probably a good thing, right? They, they, <laughs> they yeah. keep it that way. Um, that's incredible. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This was a this was a real a real treat, a blast. It was, um, yeah, hilarious. it was fun for me. Very so. few of these things are fun, so I. Well, good. That makes I me. Thank you. That makes me happy to hear that. So, um, yeah, thank you, and I had a blast, and I can't wait for the next thing, and, um, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll reach out, and I'm, okay. um, I'm really anxious to. I'm excited that I have five books to read now of yours. That's always a cool <laughs> feeling to go back and be like, oh, I have, I have this chunk of material. So, uh, definitely a fan now, and yeah, like I said, thank you for spending time with me this evening my pleasure have me back anytime Good. great I, yeah absolutely i'd love to okay take care joe thanks see you next time